0: This week's episode of Does Not Compute is brought to you by two lovely sponsors. First up, we've got Hired. If you're a developer or designer looking for your next job, you should definitely give Hired a try. It's incredibly easy to use and takes a lot of the hassle out of finding a job. Just sign up at Hired.com doesnotcompute does not compute and Hired will start showing your information to over 3,000 companies. These are all sorts of companies looking for all sorts of engineers and designers. They've got tiny startups looking for their first full-time employee, huge public companies who need some contract work, and just about everything else in between. It's completely free for you to use, and in fact, Hired will give you a $1,000 bonus to say thanks for using them once you find your new job. If you signed up using the Hired.com slash does not compute link I mentioned earlier, they'll give you a $2,000 thank you bonus instead, which is a great way to find a new job and help support the show. Our thanks to Hired for their continued support of Does Not Compute. Secondly, we're sponsored by Rollbar today. If you're running a production site or app, you know how much of a pain it can be to deal with errors. Rollbar completely simplifies that process, usually in less than 10 minutes, by integrating with your code and reporting those errors to a central place. They've got integrations for just about every big language and framework out there, so no matter what you're writing in, you'll be able to get up and running really quickly. Rollbar centralizes all your error reporting, but also works great with other tools you love, like Pivotal Tracker, GitHub, HipChat, and Slack. By being notified of errors quickly and reliably, you'll be able to start fixing bugs before your users even notice them. As a special offer for Does Not Compute listeners, Rollbar will give you 90 days of their bootstrap plan for free if you sign up at rollbar.com dnc. If you've never used an error reporting service before, you'll be amazed at how much easier it makes your life. And if you're already a pro, you're going to love Rollbar's features and ease of use. Make sure to check them out and sign up at rollbar.com dnc.
1: So, Paul, I know you've been traveling quite a bit recently, going to all these fancy conferences. What do you have to say for yourself becoming involved in the hijinks that are the Bay Area? I'm
0: very tired, Sean. (laughs) I'm always very tired now. Uh, It's been been awesome, though. So over the last, I guess, like week and a half now, I went up to Tahoe for Epicurrents, the Muntus, which was an incredible, incredible experience. Um, There were a bunch of super talented people there. And I actually ended up going to Tahoe a few days early with some random internet friends that I had never met before. None of us had met. So it was like this thing where a bunch of people who I'd never met before showed up at my house and we drove up to Tahoe on a Friday afternoon and stayed in a really cramped Airbnb and went snowboarding with each other. And it was pretty, pretty cool.
1: If you had played some rock and roll while you were gone, I would say that's like being on tour. These people showed up and we got in a van and we just left.
0: I I imagine <laughs> it's sort of what being on tour feels like. Yeah. That's cool, though. Um, I heard a lot of good
1: things about Montuse because I know a few people that went as well. What, what was your favorite part of that?
0: Well, I mean, beside the conference itself, it was Al at North Star. So that was pretty sweet. And they got literally three feet of snow during the time we were there. So it was just an absurd trip in terms of snowboarding. Um, but the conference itself was super cool. There were a bunch of people there who do great work, and it was in such a casual setting. Everybody was super chill to each other, and just a lot to be learned and awesome conversations to be had.
1: Uh, what was the format like? I know it wasn't as formal as other conferences. It Was it more just kind of people hanging out and having discussions, or were there...
0: Were there more planned discussions? So this was the first Epicurrence event I have attended, and for anybody who doesn't know, previous Epicurrences were much smaller than than this particular one was. There were 300 people at this event as opposed to 50 to 60 at the other ones, so it was significantly significantly larger. The impression I got is that that definitely did change some of the feeling, because obviously just Logistically speaking, with that many people, things are going to be kind of different. But at the same time, from an outsider's perspective, it was still very casual relative to what you would picture a conference to be like. They actually don't like to call Epicurrents a conference. It's an event. Um, and I, I think that that actually is an accurate description.
1: That sounds pretty awesome. Especially, I mean, I didn't know that there were 300 people that went. I knew it was a little bit smaller. It so seems like a pretty great opportunity to be in the same vicinity as a lot of people that you look up to. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, this might be my last question on the subject, but what was if you can remember one conversation uh, or one thing that you took away from Monttoos as a whole, uh, do you know what would that what that would be?
0: This wasn't something that came up in a in one specific conversation or something that was said even in a talk. But what I thought was really cool is that everybody was really just there to learn and enjoy some time together and just have a good time with the community, right? And and just help each other all grow. Um, there wasn't really any focus on hiring or finding new jobs or any of that kind of stuff. It was just like, hey, we're all here. We all love what we're doing. Let's talk about how we can make the industry better. And I thought that was that was pretty neat.
1: So in thinking about it, the the idea that people go to conferences to try and find work hasn't ever really crossed my mind.
0: Yeah, so the day I got back from Epcurrents, I actually ended up going to the last day of FluentConf in San Francisco. Um, and it was kind of amazing how much of a stark difference there was there. Uh, there very much was a lot of corporate influence at that event, and people were actively trying to hire or be hired. And... It it just felt a lot more company-like in that way, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I just think it's cool that there are different types of events for different people who are looking for different things.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. I mean, someone like myself, I'm more reserved, I guess. I feel like I would fit in better at something like Montu's, where there's less people and there's more focus on learning and helping other individuals learn and things of that nature as opposed to just a whole bunch of people and… People trying to hire, people trying to get hired, people trying to peddle their wares at you, essentially.
0: Yeah, and not, not to say that there was anything wrong with Fluent. It was a, it was an awesome conference. Uh, I actually spent a fair bit of time hanging out in the developer lounge, which was a neat experience. It was very casual format, and there was actually some open mic stuff, which was, was pretty awesome. Uh, I like that they're experimenting with those things. What was the open mic like? So it wasn't precisely an open mic. But it was in a much looser format than a conventional conference talk. So basically, there was an MC there, Heather Gold, who did a great job. And for each session, there would be a guest who was an expert in that area. Generally, their company did something related to the topic or they were someone who was well known for working in that in that field, or something like that. But essentially what would happen is they would kick it off and then just open things up to the audience for discussion. It didn't even necessarily have to be questions. It could just be like, oh yeah, I have experience with this and I think this is a great way to approach it. So there, were some, there was some really good chat about web performance and accessibility. That sounds pretty awesome. I, I'm a really big fan of those
1: small group style discussions like that. And on the topic of accessibility and performance, uh, I came across this article, I think it was maybe last week by Lexi Monroe, titled, Maybe maybe We Should Tone Down the JavaScript. And I'm sure other people have highlighted similar ideas elsewhere. I just haven't read about them or come across them. In this article, Lexi talks about just how much JavaScript there is on the internet these these days. It's just everywhere. And how many apps we use on a day-to-day basis that just... plain old don't work if maybe JavaScript is turned off or maybe you're on a slow computer and it's taking too long for it to load or maybe you're on a phone and you have bad connection, you know. Uh, and I've definitely come across some of these sites. In the example, uh, she talks about twitter.com and on the top, there's a screenshot and everything that doesn't work without JavaScript is highlighted in red. And honestly, it's, it's most of the screenshot, right? And throughout this article, she talks about, you know, approaching how you build your applications and how you require JavaScript and how that comes through, how that translates through to accessibility to people that don't have top-of-the-line
0: gear and people that don't
1: have the fastest internet connections on the planet.
0: Yeah, this is something that we actually talked about a fair bit during some of those Fluent talks is that accessibility isn't just disabled users. Accessibility also affects people who aren't necessarily on a fast connection. Now, that can be either because they just don't have great signal at the time, or they live in a rural area that you can't get any form of good internet, or they could be in another country where you just can't get good internet no matter where you live. There are a lot of reasons why somebody could be on a slower connection where things take time to load, or they're on an older computer that doesn't necessarily support the latest and greatest JavaScript. But there are are so many different reasons that someone might not be able to view your page in Chrome as if they were on a 100 megabit synchronous pipe, right? That's something that only very few people actually have access to. So considering it when you're building things out makes a huge difference, I think. It totally does. And a few paragraphs in, she talks about using NoScript and some of
1: the things she's seen because of that. For example, she said there was one site that had overflow hidden applied to the body and without JavaScript that was never removed. And I don't know, I guess, what problem that solves, but... Inter- that's an interesting choice, for sure. Uh, she always talks about you know paragraphs of text overlapping each other, images having a page worth of blank space above them on different like really popular sites that people go to a lot. Honestly, for me, when I think about building applications and uh, I start thinking about features that I want to implement, you know, the case where people don't have JavaScript, or maybe JavaScript doesn't load fast enough. It doesn't really cross my mind until down the road. And that's something I should think about more ahead of time, right? The whole progressive enhancement thing.
0: Yeah, I, I thought the the funniest thing about this article was that screenshot that you mentioned, where everything is read. And it's all very simple stuff. Evie actually talks about this a, a fair bit in their article. And basically what's going on is all those things, or at least the majority of them, don't even need JavaScript. Sure, they might be enhanced by JavaScript, but it would be super easy to have them just fall back to standard HTML. There's no reason they have to be powered by JavaScript. A lot of them were just links or buttons or text fields. And there's really no need for those to require JavaScript to work. You, you can easily do uh, a graceful fallback and still have a nice experience for your JavaScript users as well. And that's just by following standard HTML best practices and semantics. There's nothing new that you have to learn. This is all stuff that anyone who's ever made a website has done before. And just keeping that in mind when you're building stuff out, like these technologies exist for a reason and you can use them and enhance them with JavaScript, but also just make stuff that works fine for everybody else too.
1: Right. For the most part, best practices are best practices for a reason, you know, especially when it comes to HTML and markup and how to build a website, you know, the fundamentals, the fundamentals. I, I have to remind myself to try and not get too fancy and cute while forsaking some of that stuff. Right. I mean, granted I can do some really cool things with JavaScript, but that doesn't mean that I have to all the time. And really it comes down to considering who your audience is. You know, if you're going to have a large portion of users on mobile or a large portion of users who might not have the best internet connection, it, it really is worth your time to think about these sort of things. And another thing that I found really interesting was this list of situations where your JavaScript not, might not load, you know. And they're as simple as someone's on a slow computer, someone's on a slow connection. I mean, there are other items like someone might have tweaked your website with a user script. Or you maybe named a critical JS file a name that something like ghost might block. And I know that's been happening to me more often. I'll go to a site and something will just not work and most of the time if I just turn ghostry off then suddenly things are fine. But really there are more situations than you might actually think could happen to where your users would see your application without JavaScript enabled.
0: And of course it's not always going to be possible to make a website that will work 100% without JavaScript. That's That's just not always going to be realistic. But I think providing the best experience you can for those users while spending a reasonable amount of time on it should be a pretty massive priority. I mean, especially for for these big sites like like Twitter. Twitter should be doing better, honestly. That's they're they're a very large company that millions and millions of people use every day and it's sort of a responsibility, right, to make your site as accessible as it can be. That was
1: the big thing about the internet is you can build something and anyone anywhere can look at it, use it,
0: consume that information. All righty, Sean. So we just got a question from a friend of the show, Daniel McMahon in the slash Rocket Slack. He wants to know what we think people should be looking at and thinking about when they are looking for or preparing for a job.
1: That's a pretty good question. There's always people looking for jobs and
0: preparing for jobs. Well, I think I think first of all, I feel obligated to point out that you should probably be checking out hired.com slash does not compute. <laughs> Got him. Got it. Boom.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, if there's tool, if there are tools out there that exist to help you find a job, then why? I mean, by all means, you know. Um, I suppose if you're in the position where you need a job and you need to get a job, do everything you can. I mean, like fill out hired fill out an application for hired company slack rooms seem to be interesting as well. Like get plugged in with the community, you know,
0: I actually try to do a lot of what I call reverse filtering. People always talk about in the hiring process being filtered by HR departments. So you send your resume in and it doesn't have certain keywords. So it just gets thrown out or you go into an interview and you don't do some secret handshake kind of thing. And they just disregard you because you you didn't do that. Um, and I actually kind of intentionally avoid doing a lot of those things personally. In my resume, I make it exactly the way that I am to the best I can. Uh, it has a little autobiography at the top. It's very, very casual. It's nicely designed in sans-serif fonts and doesn't really list out all of my skills in the typical way. It, it breaks effectively every rule of making a resume. But what I'm trying to do with that is actually like I said reverse screen these companies. Cuz I don't actually want to end up at a company where they care about that kind of stuff.
1: No, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. So recently I hired a new dev and I, I saw a few resumes, you know, coming in in preparation for that and on some of the resumes I saw lots of buzzwords, just a long list of buzzwords and for whatever reason when i see that it makes me suspicious
0: right and and adding that buzzword section is actually a recommendation i've received in the past when i've shown my resume to businessy people they're like oh you're never going to get through hr filters this way you need to have these things in there so that you'll actually make it to the people who can make a decision and to be totally honest if a company is going to reject me without someone technical looking at my resume I almost certainly don't want to work there to begin with. Now, I recognize completely that that is not the situation that everybody is in. Sometimes people need to find a job quickly. And in that case, you should be doing everything you can just to land something, of course. But in in my particular case, I've been fortunate enough the last few times I've been looking for a job to already have one and just be kind of wanting a change. So that's been something where I've taken my time and made sure that I ended up with the right people.
1: Another thing that I've seen others recommend would be to uh, almost stalk that company or the companies that you want to work for on social media networks. Look at what they're posting, look at what their employees are posting, and maybe follow you know follow some people that work for them and just see what the general culture might be like. You know if people if their employees seem stressed out and run ragged, you know that's a good sign of maybe mismanagement or expectations being set too high for that company. You know, so I mean I feel like you can get uh you can get a really good feel for things by looking at how people are.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally true. That's actually how I ended up at ImageX in a way. Uh I found out about the company and I was enjoying the product, so I was using it a lot. And I actually started contributing to their open source stuff and talking to Kelly, who's now my boss, and it just kind of worked out. Like I I actually got engaged with that company and I was doing stuff with them, working with them. Learning a lot about the internal culture, and that made it way easier to get a job. Which I mean, that ties directly into what I was going to say next, and that's
1: beyond stalking the company is maybe a bad thing, a bad way to put it. But you know, obviously, you want to observe them and you want to get to know them a little bit. Uh, it, but it's also never a bad thing to reach out to the employees. You know, if you're really interested in working for a company, why not you know shoot out a couple of messages on Twitter or even an email, just saying hey. You know, I'm so and so, and this is what I do. And I'm possibly looking around, and I really like what you
0: guys do. Do you have any more information? I think it can be even more casual than that, in a lot of cases, at least. Uh, If you're in a city that has meetups for a language that you really like, just start going to those meetups and don't pressure people. Don't be like, hey, I'm looking for a job every single time. But, you know, go to those meetups, start meeting people, start interacting with people in that community, in that space that you want to move into. And it's going to be much easier for you to find a job later on down the road, even if you're not looking right now, just having those contacts and that experience real life in the industry will make a big difference. So
1: I feel in general, most people that are looking to hire, especially maybe product companies are looking for someone that's already doing something that they that they want. Right. So if you're already involved in the community, if you're already submitting pull requests, if you're already helping just even maybe answer questions on GitHub, you know, they're I personally would hire somebody that's already, you know, involved in the community to some extent or at least showing some effort as opposed to someone just cold calling me with a super impressive resume.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I guess there was also a component in this question about interview prep. And usually what people in the development industry mean by that is, are you studying your algorithms? Um, And that's not really something I've ever done seriously. So I can't necessarily comment on that too much, except to say that unless you're shooting for a very specific type of job, companies asking those sorts of questions are probably not the kinds of companies you want to be working at. Um, Especially if you're shooting for something in the web dev type of space. A lot of questions around deep comp size stuff and algorithms will oftentimes be a sign of either somebody who's just reading interview questions that they got out of some sort of book or out of the internet or a culture that might not be the right fit for you. Today's episode was sponsored by Rollbar. Rollbar makes it super easy to deal with errors in your sites and apps. Using one of their many libraries, most folks are able to start tracking errors in production in less than 10 minutes. Rollbar helps you get your error notification under control and can even do neat things like automatically create GitHub issues when new errors pop up. If you sign up at rollbar.com dnc, you'll get 90 days of their bootstrap plan for free. We're also sponsored today by Hired, which helps designers and developers easily find new jobs. Hired works with over 3,000 companies all across Europe and the United States, and will even give you $1,000 to say thanks for using them when you find your next job. It's really easy to get started. Just sign up at Hired.com doesnotcompute and you'll get five or more interview requests per week. The best part? By signing up at that link, they'll double your thank you bonus to $2,000 instead. If Does Not Compute has helped or even just entertained you, Sean and I would really appreciate a rating or review in the iTunes store. Reviewing Does Not Compute in iTunes is the single most effective way to help spread the word so new listeners can find the show. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope to talk to you soon in the Spec Slack or on Twitter at DNCCast. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Stop and recording.